0: Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: To voices that glow, thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything AT&T.
3: Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I am your host, Questlove. We have Team Supreme with us. Uh, you know what, guys? I've been getting a lot of feedback on the internet since saying that I'm not asking enough of Team Supreme of where their life is right now. Mm-hmm. Someone actually! Mm-hmm. Wow, they actually care.
0: They care about us.
3: <laughs> Someone wants like, yo, used to check up on how Fonte's house is doing and, and <laughs> <laughs> any repairs. <laughs> so, I'm 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 asking uh, how, how how's your uh, how's your time been, Fonte, in the last month or so?
4: It's been good, man. Um, doing uh, doing more repairs. We did um, we did windows and. Okay. um We waiting on, like, windows, like, to come because, like, they measured something wrong, so they got to come and replace them. But uh, we did windows. um, What else I had to replace? I had to replace my HVAC unit that went out. I think that was actually last summer. That went out. You mean recording? (laughs) Right.
3: Oh, yeah, my HVAC. No, 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 my
4: HVAC. HVAC. My AC. Yeah, man. Okay. So I do that. Yeah, HVAC. So
3: did that. And, yeah, but other than that, we chilling, man. I'm cool. It's good to hear, uh, Steve. How, how's How's your life going? It's going, keeping it
5: moving. I'm inspired by the reopening of everything, and uh, hoping
3: that. Have that you been we... going places? Oh hell no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're but, just happy of uh, 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 places, uh, places uh, opening, but you're not going to these places. I'm
5: fine. I'm I'm finding my solace in in work, going to going to work every day as as we have been for. A long time but now that the audiences are coming back it's uh it's it's another step it feels I good. feel you
3: L- last night I went to uh I, w- I went to a, a brother love event and mm-hmm. I think I, I think I, I stayed of all of two minutes so oh
0: brother love I'm sorry that's the other yeah. one I got you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. Okay. the miss okay. the
3: missus wasn't having that like the <laughs> second we walked in and it was like a nightclub She's just like, what oh, I thought I couldn't no. love <laughs> her more, Amir oh, Are they
4: requiring um, at uh, at Fallon? Are they requiring uh, like vaccination or for the uh, audience? Yeah. Like what's the, yeah, yeah, the protocol? You, you got to get
3: you got to get vaccinated, and you know, and get the little card handwritten cards
0: that they had the kids filling out at the, at the CBS.
3: Oh, oh, god oh, uh, homemade bootleg joints. I'm just saying, uh, they're handwritten. Yeah, that's great. Laia, how are, how are you?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Working a lot podcast after podcast oh and by the time you got
3: three podcasts you're like you're like quest love here
0: i'm trying to be sir i'm trying to diversify and by the time this podcast airs i would have had my first museum showing my father would have had his first museum showing for his photos at uh the national museum of african-american music in tennessee so um we've been curating that me and deanna for black music month and it's been a lot and it's i'm just happy that it's probably gonna be over by the time y'all
4: hear the fuck up yeah. Congratulations, That's dope. man. Thank That's dope. you. Thank That's you. what's up. Thank you.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are honored uh to have a gentleman with us. Yes, I consider him a, a gentleman and a friend. Um he's pretty much accomplished the world in the past two decades. Wait, side question. Mark, does it even feel like you've been you're like a ve- you're a twenty year veteran. You're a twenty three year veteran. Like Yeah. You're you're not like our kid brother anymore. You're <laughs> no you're you're in a i was just looking like wow
6: mark, mark's been doing this shit for
3: 20 years um, like, he's a,
6: damn mark looks old no you look the same <laughs> that's what i was about to say you look the same no i guess none of those things and, and you know of course we all know like as you get older pockets of time uh they quicker because they're less a fraction of your life but it is bizarre and i think like when like certainly to me the people i grew up you know, looking up to you, Q-tip, like, I, you don't, like, when you guys, and I'm not trying to blow you up, turned 50, like, I certainly, like, you didn't feel 50 to me at all. Like, that's kind of bizarre. But no, maybe but that's because I, I need to just not think that anybody's older who's older you, than me. You
3: literally, if I were to see, like, my memory of you as a 19-year-old or a 20-year-older versus now, I, I wouldn't tell the difference. Right. Like, you you have a... You have a, a, a gene, and you that might be the cousin to Black. Don't crack because you you look the same. Uh, Jew baby. don't
6: stew. I don't know. <laughs> <What is it>? <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. That. That's stupid.
3: Anyway, y'all, um, you know he's accomplished musician, a songwriter, producer, label CEO, um, and still uh, an accomplished DJ. Um, if that doesn't impress you, you know, check his resume name them uh adele winehouse mars merriweather um cyrus uh wale d'angelo freaking duran duran oh my god i can't wait to get to that part seven time am i getting the number right it's definitely seven time grammy winner yes yes okay including the coveted producer of the year i'm only asking you that because even now like people keep Fudging my numbers and they never get the number five right. They're like two-time Grammy winner Questlove, three times. Yeah. I, I kind of want to be that guy that's like 4 Grammy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I I can't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Questlove Supreme, the one and only Mark Ronson. Yes, sir.
7: Yes, I don't
3: know. <laughs> Yeah, where are you? Where are you right now, Mark? You're in your your lab.
6: Yeah, I'm in my lab uh, in Soho, New York. I just moved back in. Um, This is a place I actually had in the mid-2000s, right, when I met Amy and, you know, I I was in this place for a couple of years and then moved back to England for a while, moved to LA and, you know, because of COVID and people fleeing the city like they did, I was walking past this building and it was actually on Amy's birthday and I was just like, was uh, like feeling a little sentimental. Like, let me just buzz up and see what's see what's in there. So uh, I buzzed and the the landlord. I kind of gave. I'm horrible at making long winded stories that don't get to the point. So please put me. That's what the show is for. Welcome to <laughs> Clash <level> Supreme. <laughs> okay. So I was like, hey, I uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm Mark. I used to be on the fifth floor, and I got it done. I just thought because I wanted to come upstairs. So he's like, what? You want to rent the space again? And I was like. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I want to rent this space again. So I came upstairs, and I see this abandoned, probably what was like a jingle house in between when I was here last. And I was just like, wow, I mean, and you know, New York rents are a Mm -hmm. bit of a song right now. And I took this place back over. So, you know, I really just came in. Thinking of Amy, it was her birthday. I just thought, like, maybe I'll get a little picture. remember what that room felt like. And then it just led to me being back here.
3: And then you got conned into renting it again. (laughs)
6: <laughs> yeah but i love I, j- I did i forgot this place has a really good vibe it was never like a very like a, a named studio like a hip factory or or mm-hmm. you know power station but the but Nora jones's first record you know the big one was made here we did most of back to black like all the demo and writing so there's like you know how just places have a juju like it's just there's just something in the walls it's just obviously right. kind of nice
3: yeah, I'm I'm telling you right now, don't give it up because I mean I, I have a I have a certain superstition when it comes to whenever producers upgrade and so the place where you found that magic and I know in producers' minds it's like I gotta grow and I gotta yeah. expand. But I can show you the history of where the slow wane starts and it's usually when success comes in and then they upgrade and then they yeah. upgrade and then shit's not the same anymore so you know if if this is if that's your spot where you know your 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 the good vibes were then I tell you to you you should take yeah. that spot. You should keep I it. definitely
6: I've been on the other side of that equation too. I moved into this like basement kind of hole. It was mildew and like damp in the East Village. Love it. And uh in like two thousand three. And um I remember getting a call from this guy's and it was like, Hey, uh, you know, the Strokes used to have that room and they're working on their second record and they're really having like a hard time, like they might want that room back because that was their weird magic room where they—it was called the wow. transporter room where they made the first record. And it. I was, yeah, I was a big Strokes fan, so I was just like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll move out of here. It never happened in the end, but like I know that that what that what that, uh, what that to is want to like, spot, obviously. right? Yeah. All right, so I'll
3: ask you, and I, I actually said this on your podcast that, you know, I purposely held back from asking you certain questions in real life. Knowing that one day, you'd eventually make it to the show, so I didn't, I didn't want to waste any answers or whatnot. So, great. Um, for those of us that don't know, could you please tell us uh, where you were born, what city you were born in? Yeah,
6: raised? I was born in London. Uh, my parents are English, and then I moved to New York when I was eight. And i was pretty much i I consider myself a new yorker like definitely but i have ties to london i have my family there a lot of family there i go i've spent time there i didn't really realize weirdly until i started making music and the music came out and it did well in england and like went like fucking sold eight copies here that i had to be like oh maybe this connection to england that i like completely forgot about most of my life Musically mm. is is more is kind of more my output than I really realize, you know. So wait, let me ask you about your
3: your your time in in England. First of all, are you consciously aware or unaware of when your accent sneaks in and sneaks out?
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. I mean, I, I used to hate it. I mean, when you moved to a country, I moved here when I was eight from england and like you know kids are merciless at that age and they tease you and i you know they call me commie which doesn't make any sense because you were commie <laughs> yeah they call me like shut up call like you know because it's like the middle of like the you know the cold war or something right i have a funny accent and then um and then you try and f- lose it to fit in as quickly and then i would go back to england to see my friends be like why do you sound so american like i i realized it was just my you know my little like it was i was never going to be able to kind of sound like i was from one place i hear it when i'm in england and my voice starts to change in the back of a taxi. and as part of it it makes me think like what am i like this spineless guy who can't commit to one accident? Or am i such a chameleon <laughs> am i so like unsure like or trying to please people in public scenarios that i'm that easily but i just i, I realize i have no control over it anymore so i just fucking i've just given up
3: no, you definitely talk like you. Like I don't think you talk American or English. But like I always wondered, in your head, are you trying to navigate the vehicle so that you don't reveal your English side to us, and if you're over there, you don't reveal your American side to them?
6: No, because I, I definitely, I, I've definitely sounded. American. As soon as I went back to England the first time, I'd only been in America for like a year, and they're like, "Why do you sound like a fucking yank now, mate?" And or uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> they were they were nine year old kids. They didn't sound like a like a like a pub uh, right. bartender. But yeah, no, I hear it when I'm like, I, I mean, we all have the, all these different mechanisms that we use to assimilate. You know, there's social mechanisms how we just like if you're standing next to someone they crossing their arms and suddenly you start crossing your arms. It's just like coding and genetics and evolution but i just like you know poor joss stone she got it really bad she was like the first person her and i remember madonna right everyone's like why they fucking sound like that now joss stone for sounding American, madonna for sounding english right but um and so i always was like oh is there something that when you sound when you switch it up that much is that is that inauthentic like that's the only thing i didn't want to be read as inauthentic but you or, had a valid like,
0: reason for sounding like that they did well i don't know about josh i didn't know about that but right. madonna, madonna just came out of nowhere and was like why does she sound like that but
3: you were um, that that happens though yo like after yeah. a year i was saying the word yeah after everything yeah mark so you <laughs> play the drums yeah yeah like oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> <you> yeah <know. laughs>
6: Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And, and everything has to end exactly in England. All the sentences end, like, on a slightly higher note than they started, and you say, yeah, at the end. So it's like, all right, so I'll see you at the club, lady. Yeah, bye. Like, everything just, like, goes into this, like, uh, lilt.
3: It's kind of like Brooklyn. Brooklyn, like, when we first got here to record Do You Want More, like, every, that whole era of, like, 93, 94, especially, like, when Tariq was hanging with, like, the Gangstar Foundation and all those cats – and they were just talking mad Brooklyn, but like everything was interrogative. Like they were it was as if they were always asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, how how many pairs of pumas you got? Yeah. Yo, yo right. you gonna eat that over there, kid? Right. Like everything's yeah. a question. Yeah. <laughs> and using the word Aggie, which I I've yet to oh, see yeah. any other Aggie. place in the world use Aggie except for Aggie. Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah.
6: yeah. A-key. My my sister, weirdly, Charlotte uses that word all the time, but just only from like hearing it in Jay Z songs, and she just loves that. She always, she just always goes like, "Why are you acting all Aggie? That's pretty Aggie. funny,
3: right? Mark, what was your first musical memory?
6: I have like almost snapshots in my head, like partial memories. I remember having a little trap drum kit when I was three or four. Mm-hmm. I I remember also having um, it was either a Sony or Fisher Price record player that was like plastic like it was and the brown joint?
4: Or like a little tan one, like a little tan joint where
6: it was. No, this one was Rice like one? primary colours. It was like red, maybe it was just like an English one. It was like red, yellow, green, and I just remember lifting the needle and putting it down on the record and just that excitement when the first like crackle happened Mm -hmm. and then like just being like whoa i can control this i mean it's so not i mean it's it's not even deep enough to compare it to djing because it literally is djing but um yeah those are some of my first first memories
3: mark i'll be the first to admit i was today years old before i realized that you're not at all related to mick ronson No. Which I think the whole world thinks you are. Yeah. Your stepfather is Mick Jones. How is this a common mistake that all of us have made? Yeah. Because in my mind, your dad was Mick Ronson. And I'm like, no, his dad was Mick Jones.
6: Now I get it. Yeah. No, it was crazy because even before like Wikipedia, like in the early 2000s when I first came out, like, you know, Wikipedia has made it pretty common that if like somebody gets a fact wrong, it just kind of just stays there. It stays there. Right. stays there but this is weirdly like one of the examples of a of a wrong fact staying there before wikipedia and i think it was because when i first came out in in england where i had my initials like my only success really with my with my solo record the first one that right, yeah mm-hmm. they knew that my stepdad was a musician named mick or they knew i was related to somebody in music named mick and my last name's ronson so it must be mick ronson so this started to get written a lot. In the in the in the Times of London or something, and uh, Mick Ronson's poor like widow, Mick Ronson obviously being the <laughs> genius arranger, guitar player for Bowie right. and Spiders from Mars, writes to the newspaper, and she's like, um, she's she's like, if my you know thinks that I'm some either some weird bastard child that he had out of wedlock or maybe somebody claiming falsely to be the son of McRonson, and she sued the newspaper i think because she was like you know i think that was probably stressful for her to be like wait is there some fucking ronson running around here wait she's um, so i think she su i think McRonson's <laughs> widow sued the paper that time but then you know obviously i did my best to clear up and also because you know i'm proud of my stepdad. I don't want people to think I'm trying to ride off the coattails of of uh, some wrong information. But yeah, I, I, I'm not related to Mick Ronson. Just a fan. Damn, I, I never... It
3: never even occurred to me that I can just start suing people for false rumors or whatever. Because Yeah. You know, I, Wikipedia insists that my grandfather is um, a member of the Dixie Hummingbirds, Beachy yeah, Thompson. Yeah, I saw that. I was
0: like,
3: for real? And people... But the thing is, like, reporters just fall in love with this whole thing of, like, wow, three three generations of, of music makers. You, your, your grandfather's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Your dad was a legendary doo now it's you. And now I just I, I don't have the strength anymore. I actually met Beachy Thompson's family, like, I think maybe a nephew or two lives out in L.A., and they just, they're claiming me now. So, you yeah. know, it's like, we got the same last name. Yeah. So you might as well just when with it. When myth becomes legend, print the legend.
6: fuck exactly exactly Uh, also wikipedia is like the easiest thing to sort of fix anyway so what like there's just some guy that whenever someone works for you changes it it just goes back and just puts it back like we like the old way yeah yeah i
3: i too try to erase it and it just winds up back there like three days later so forget it yeah can't do nothing about it
6: my favorite like weird thing on that somebody posted on Wikipedia that was just so preposterous that I just had to laugh and leave it was that it said it was like you know all the way down the thing personal life he grew up and da 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 it's like the fourth paragraph it's like and also at the age of six years old he actually wrote the theme song to the hit cartoon Thundercats but originally wrote it as a tribute <laughs> wow. to Benedict that is st- <laughs> wrote as a tribute to Benedict Cumberbatch and the theme went Cumberbatch Cumberbatch Cumberbatch
0: Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch. oh, oh.
6: i was like i can't even take that out it's too good
0: that's awesome all right
3: so there you have it y'all exclusive uh you've officially written the undercast theme i'll I'll take that i'll take that so in growing up you're saying that drums was might have been your first weapon
6: yeah when i was uh my parents were kind of like they like to party they had a lot there was always people over in the house and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would probably I'd walk into what I'm told and vaguely recall is this sea of grown ups smoking drinking whatever probably walking through the room getting pat on the head um and I would just go straight for the speakers wherever the music was playing and I would sit in front of the speakers and just close my eyes and play air drums to like whatever was playing like that was my like zone mm-hmm. and uh Simon Kirk, the drummer from Bad Company and Free, was mm-hmm. there one night and just was like a friend and and of the of my parents was like, hey, like he looks like he'd have fun on the drums. Like he kind of looks like he knows what he's doing. Get him a kit, and uh, they got me a little kit. My and my dad, my real dad, loved music like a typical English soul boy in the '60s. Like had st- stacks, Winder, K, Frog, like all those '45s and he, you know Northern that's Soul all the, stuff. Northern soul stuff too. And just that's what he played in the house. So that's kind of just what it was like. It was like groove music, you know? And that's what I was kind of drawn to.
0: Can I, I just wanted to ask what your parents did. Cause I feel like yeah. in some way your life has been romanticized or even hella dope
6: <laughs> Yeah. as far as like, uh, yeah. my dad managed bands. And he, uh, he came from like a kind of like, you know, a family that was like, you're supposed to like North London Jews are like a very I wouldn't say insular, but it's like, you do the family business, you go, it was like old school tradition, this kind of thing. My, my dad's family were like one generation removed from being like fucking butchers on brick lane. Like not quite Peaky Blinders, but like that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so they so he my grandfather made this successful business like gas stations. It was like that's what you do, you go work in the family business. So my dad was loved music and they just weren't trying to hear that. So that he kinda like became a little bit of like the black sheep and he went and managed bands and did all this kind of things. And do you remember the band Roachford? Yes, and yeah, Andrew
4: Roachford, yeah, Andrew Roachford. Yeah, Rocheford,
6: so right? he managed Roachford, uh, this was like a little later, but yeah, he like discovered Andrew was in another band and was like, hey, the keyboard player is really good, you should fucking go do your solo shit. So he kind of, you know, plucked Andrew out and, you know, d- you know those first couple Roachford records, and he just loved music and stuff, and he loved to party, and so did my mom. And my mom was from Liverpool, and she was just kind of, you know wonderful mother of, you know, kind of dynamic persona. Oh, okay. And how Actually, many of
0: them? There's a, how many Ronsons?
6: There's, okay, so there's, my my mom and dad had three of us, and then my dad remarried, had three more Ronsons, and my mom remarried and had a couple more Joneses. So there's ten, <laughs> ten wow. brothers and sisters all together. Yikes.
3: Yeah, it's wow. a lot. okay. Speaking of which, uh yeah, I was gonna say, um, Laia, um it's it's Andrew Roachfort who would bring um if you remember New Jahan, uh from three seven thousand nine in the Black Lily mm. days. Okay, yeah. To our very first show when we moved to London. Okay. And that's how we met New, and then New became our tour manager. But wow. at the time she was dating uh Rochefort, so that's how we knew
6: okay. him. Okay. Yeah.
3: That's how we knew him. All right, so In addition, like I I know, of course, I know Sam DJs. I know that uh, C. Ronson is, I assume, fashion designer. Yeah. Uh, And that's not your shout out on the Jay-Z record, but your sister. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) You'll take it. Um, But like, is anyone, uh, any of your other siblings, are they uh, accomplished musicians as well? Or just Uh, in terms of producing and songwriting?
6: Yeah, my brother's like my brother Alexander's really talented. He's in L.A. and he's more in that kind of like avant-garde L.A. scene. Like he did stuff with Ariel Pink before it was bad to say Ariel Pink's name, I guess. But um, oh, right, I forgot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just like just cool, more weird shit than I do. And uh, but and that, and then my brother Chris actually. Uh, lives in Miami, and he's like part of Terror Squad, and he like makes music with like Pooh what? Bear and Scott Storch. So like, yeah, everybody's everybody has a has a, the kind of musical gene somehow. Except my family on in England, my, who I'm very close with, they all decided to like do real shit. So they're like lawyers and you know business okay. and that kind of stuff. I see. Hey, um,
3: I I heard a story once about you and. I thought this is weird that we kind of have this thing in common. Can you talk about your interning at Rolling Stone at the age of twelve, I believe?
6: Yes. Wow. So you know, one of the perks of growing up in New York City and um, on the Upper West Side, and my stepdad being a musician, it's like you know, cool people were over a lot of the time, and whenever I Jan Wenner would come over, the founder of Rolling Stone, like I knew exactly who he was. I was a you know, nerdy kid. I read, I love music. I, I loved everything about it. And like, I right. would read billboard and the trade mags and liner notes and stuff just because I just wanted to absorb all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Jan would come over, I would always just like want to grill him about stuff. And I'm sure it was sweet and to a point it was probably annoying because he just wanted to hang with the grownups too. But I would just Grill him as him, in
3: like, why why did Jagger get like four and a half stars for a primitive Cool? Work. yeah or, yeah just be
6: like <laughs> so, <laughs> why did you give the police don't stand so close to me 86 uh remix such a bad for something. V- like, right, right. Exactly. like so i would really like it was like showing that i was probably right and i th- I think like p- p- he was very sweet to me and probably part exasperatedly once he was like listen just, just stop i'll give you a job this summer just like stop bothering me please so so yeah i went to rolling stone and for the summers when i was Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I was I interned there like, uh, and I was just like manning the phones. I was doing all sorts of shit like uh, that. At that, that time, they had their own chart. Uh, they had their own t- album chart, which was mm-hmm. a very random thing of calling up mom and pop stores around thirty mom and pop stores, and then they would average and right. then make their own chart, which is kind of weird because they could have just called Billboard and be like, "Hey, what's the top ten this week?" But they, you know, they had their own shit. Do their so, own thing. That was partly my job to call these mom pop stores. My voice hadn't even broken. I was like, hi, I'm calling from Rolling Stone and we just want to know your ten you know. (laughs) And then I would have to compile the chart, then go down to the art department and tell them what the number one album was so they could put the little picture in the The box at the top. The box Damn so, that, so
3: you were responsible for that? I, was, I used to read
6: that shit religiously Yeah Nobody should have made me responsible for that So <laughs> I went down to the art department And that year The Batman soundtrack The Prince soundtrack That week was number one Right Um, And they were like Go tell Jenny and art The head of art department It's Batman You know It's the number one record So I go down And I'm like walking around I've never been in the art department before It's a different floor I'm like Hi like, it's, I'm looking for Jenny And they're like She's just there And I'm like Jenny? She's like yeah, What do you want kid? I was like Batman's number
7: one
6: (laughs) and she just thought it was like a prank like some kid just came down to just say like he loves like Batman or something and I was like yeah it was the album
3: I was going to say that out of all of your life accomplishments, that's probably the one that I'm super jealous of the most because, you know, like my relationship with that periodical, like I'd spend endless Saturdays going through like back then, you know, if you didn't, well, we had a, we had a large library in Philadelphia, um, but our local ones, of course, like they maybe have like, Two years of back issues And then you wouldn't see anything So you would have to put these uh, You know these scrolls in uh, Like the way oh, they used micro to preserve fish. the microfiche Yeah fish. the micro that fish. One? yeah, Right and so just eons Just hours upon hours upon hours Of like they would just keep The, the, the entire Rolling Stone collection Like you know 13 years of, of They would have like somewhere between like 73 to you know, whatever year it was at the time when I was doing, like, 87, 88. And I'd sit there endlessly. And, like, just all my walls were wallpapered with all the the lead reviews. So, like, Robert Risco. Yeah. So when I turned 40, I think Jimmy did this for me. Jimmy had Robert Risco uh, do a caricature of me. Oh, cool and that yeah that's that's amazing like, wow man you fucking yeah. work at that Rolling Stone That that's crazy yeah
6: man. and now being like obviously I was aware that it was special and being there but now like I realized like the people I was around are grabbing coffee for from whether it was David Wilde David Frick Anthony DeCurtis Sheila Rogers who went on to be the music booker at Letterman like all these people that like yeah. had this little like like I was just their little pet like toy like it was fun and they all thought it was kind of amusing that I was uh in there but i also like do you think
3: they're aware that you were that 12 year old kid now
6: uh david Wild like definitely comments on my twitter and he'll be like hey I remember, you know whatever and right. sheila rogers when i've you know when we played letterman before she's always uh been sweet so yeah some somehow they kind of kept track i had this you know phase where i didn't really have any of my first musical success in my early 30s so really my 20s while i'm making as a hip-hop dj was not something that really registered on Jan Wenner's radar you know so so I think he would always be like hey what are you up to oh yeah still doing the clubs great so when Amy came out and obviously she was on the cover of of Rolling Stone it was a big thing uh I I have this letter still framed from Jan that's just like hey Mark so glad that you know that you you finally made something of yourself essentially (laughs) like yeah like congrats (laughs) on the Amy on the Amy record it's fantastic and that 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 kind of meant a lot to me
0: wow but he also hip-hoped you that's ill like, yeah. I mean, it was a compliment, but it was also a slap in the face to, like, your
3: Keep doing your, that little rap passion. thing. Cool. Yeah, keep doing your little rap yeah, thing. If you're little rap friends, And in that moment,
0: yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a whole moment in being a, you know, a hip-hop artist, icon, or whatever.
3: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mark, do you remember the first album that you purchased? I know there's a weird question to ask, being as though... You grew up in a musical household. Yeah. So I'm certain that collections all right. Well let me let me put it this way. What was the collection like in your household as you're growing up? And then do you remember the first album that you went out and purchased with your own money? Like yeah. away from your parents' influence?
6: Yeah. So the collection was like certainly my on uh, my, my dad, we left England when I was six or seven, so you know, I'd come back once or twice a year to see my dad. That that was always just, like, I remember really clearly, like, my dad playing, he loved Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, so The Message in New wow. York, New York, he would always play those, and me and my sisters would jump on, on the bed, and, you know, that was a very, when you're a, so, when you're a kid, like, that song, A, the, like, it's so clear that you can understand every lyric, it's so hooky, and even though you don't know what you're talking about, you're just, like, I remember just learning that rote, and then... I also remember like things because he probably, he didn't really get three feet high and rising, but probably someone told him that he liked like, hey, you should check this out. This is the new shit. And he right. kind of probably took it home and was like, oh, this is a little too like uh, avant-garde for me or something. I remember him <laughs> giving mm-hmm. me that. But the first time I really remember buying something for myself was like, I got my pocket money. This is New York. And I went to the Tower Records on 66th to buy a 12 inch. I think my stepdad was like, here's ten bucks, go buy a couple twelve inches. And I bought um just bugging by whistle. 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 Yeah. Wow. Um and Sly Fox, let's go all let's the go way. Let's go all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and maybe something else. And then I uh, th- that's the first things I remember like really like buying that this is my own money. I want to get this.
3: Oh wow. Okay. Uh, d- uh, by the way, uh uh listeners. Maybe I found out maybe three years ago that um one of the members of Sly Fox was um Bootsy Collins' main singer, the one that sings real cartoony. Uh, okay. He yeah. sings
7: like yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: like the uh uh ah, damn. Almost oh, like forgetting. the Ohio oh, player. Gary, the, I think Gary Shuddbong No, not Gary Shatter. I think Gary Mudbung Cooper. Oh, okay. I hope I get this right because anytime I get P Funk uh, trivia wrong, they you know they beat up on me. Light it. you up.
6: <laughs> I yeah. love when like when I listen to that record now, it's so funny because like you don't have any of when you're a kid any of that like. Uh, sneery attitude or like jadedness and now i'm like oh my god if i was 20 when that record came out i'd be like what the fuck is this prince ripoff you know he's singing exactly like prince i mean the beat is incredible it's an incredible song but i love when Mm -hmm. you hear songs from your youth and you have none of that like barrier jadedness you're just like this is my shit and that is still i still that still is on a lot of workout playlists for me that song i'm (laughs) I'm still
3: trying to figure out how come no one never made the correlation between the boogie boys a fly girl and that song which was the yeah b version of yeah fly Girl," like it's just
6: what's well, it's, just they took the drums off of fly girl right or was it just well I, I believe they just took the same track I mean it's, it's, track. It's, it's sort of like can't trust it and don't be afraid like
3: obviously, be right. Right. right right it's the same <laughs> it's the same two inch they just wait you you know. Know. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah.
0: Ha ah, on that,
4: um, thing, boss, I didn't think about yeah, that. Nah, it's the it's the exact same track.
6: That Sly Fox record was like uh, the one of the first records to be like huge on alternative rock radio and R and B and hip hop and yeah. just pop because it had that dumb beat that just like spoke to everybody, which is which kind of exactly. cool to me. Wait,
0: what's the name of it again? Because some of us are well, let's
3: it. go all the way. Okay. Um, you yum, would know it as a flag girl. Here's the weird thing: fly I actually down. thought when Jay Z when Jay Z used it for I know what girls like. I know what girls like. I thought that was gonna blow up for him. Yeah, it, come on, Fonte,
2: you you were like ah, twelve God. back then.
3: <laughs> nah, I, that was my
4: first. Because you know where he fucked up at with that? Because he started the album off with a million and one and rhyme no more. Right, right. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. Yes, and then. Yeah, the, the Black Street join, and then it was the Flagger. <laughs> Nigga, no it, no, it,
6: no. it had a, even I like in my weird, like, even though I was like a club DJ, so I was just like looking for anything that was like commercial and bouncy, like, mm-hmm. I could even feel like there was something. Sticky there on that record, like I was like this, <laughs> like, this feels like this feels like uh, reach. And that had the city is mine on it, too, probably. Right, city is mine, yeah, that was that album. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, yeah. Because kidding. Germany. That's because that song had been remixed on the playground about 50,000 times by the time he put that version out. Because, like, right, it was just making cheers. That was a che- right, was, y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Uh, mm-hmm. right.
4: Ah, yeah, you're right, yeah, nah, you're
3: right, yeah, it was the yep. yeah, but it was a cheerleading thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I feel. I don't know. I, I I get frustrated that he denies it like a, a bastard son. And what, uh girls like the girls like record. Well, yeah. I mean,
4: just that album in general. That album had moments. It was. I mean, this it was it's not a bad
3: album, but it was. I feel it had like his moments, most though. defining song is on that moment. And which one? All right. Here's the deal. You know how like when at the beginning, Earth, Wind, and Fire obviously didn't plan on September being the biggest thing they ever being did. The one. Right. But how that was chosen even though they did, like, yeah. Star and all this other shit. I feel like the song that really defines Jay-Z isn't even a sitch. I think Imaginary Players. Right. Did, That's the one. Yes. Because yes. Jay-Z's song, it's arrogant as fuck. Like, yeah. I feel like, and, you know. I love that record. That's like, the one. Yeah, he just
6: like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm not going to my my face off twelve inch like that was a song I loved to play. You I like, loved face like off? <laughs> Well, I just as a club DJ and then back and forth, and I just like that was just like one twelve beats per minute. Like I mm-hmm. needed that in the set at that at that moment. I'm looking now back, off, and that I was the one. That was
3: over the it was over the soma the joint, Shaft right? you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
6: Really, I'll weird. never
3: figure that out. Uh, ever since hearing Jadakiss's kiss's version of of how that song went down, like I'll never see it the same again. Basically, like, they they were on, like, a trip from the UK, and they had to go straight to the studio to do their verse. They couldn't shower or anything. So it's, like, after they got out of customs, you know, they they were on a a, a nine-hour flight and then had some customs thing for, like, four hours and then had to go straight to the studio or else they were going to not be on the record. And, you know, Jada just has this, like, weird other take about it that totally takes me out (laughs) of what I thought that was. Also,
6: pitchfork 8.4 for volume one they just recently re-reviewed that i don't know because i just wikipedia because i wanted to remember what's on that album because i was like oh actually who you with face off imaginary player it's this very strong album but 8.4
3: yeah Yeah, you know what i i like that record so i will quasi agree even though he hates that record and he was trying to chase like, Puffy. He was trying to chase Puffy, yeah. bad boy. Yeah, had but shit it was on like it was 97,
4: it was time to do, like, yeah. I, we, it's understandable. It's like we get it, but no, right?
6: That, it wasn't yeah. it, yeah. You know, you know, it's anyway. funny. We were talking about, um, we were talking so much about God. Now I'm such an idiot, but when we when I interviewed me for my podcast and we talked about the huge album and then the one for the first one for Interscope. And you weren't really swearing it off, like in the way that we're talking about Jay. But you were kind of, you know, saying like it was rush, and you were trying to make a record maybe just to fit where you were. And I think don't say nothing came up. And and I uh, I was
3: trying to please. uh, Yes, I was trying to please my label president. So, but (laughs) I
6: was sitting. I was sitting the other day uh, with my. Girl, now fiance, who's 10 years younger than me. Yeah, and don't and say nothing. And congratulations, by the way, man. I thought yes. that was uh, great. Thank congratulations, you. bro. She's, uh, yes. oh, she's an awesome
0: actress. I'm a big fan.
6: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'll tell her you said that. Yeah. And don't or hopefully she'll listen to this or both but don't say nothing (laughs) came on and she's like that's my shit and i because she was she was a teenager like that age and it comes out and you're just like oh this i just fucking love this like you have no context you're not thinking like where it rests in the canon you're just like "Uh, uh, uh, (laughs) uh, 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 uh," you know like it's just yeah she's not being a music
0: snob like like y'all in like the rest of us. Yes, yeah.
3: exactly. <laughs> well, I'm 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 extremely. Uh, thank you, I, I appreciate that. Yo, can yeah. I yeah. can
0: I ask yes. a speaking of that snobbery? I wanted to ask Mark a set question because I'm so curious about where you started, like working out your sets, and where you how you started, like refining and knowing what to do and what 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 the crowd wanted and what crowd wanted what, and what what crowd was important just... to you.
6: <laughs> In the beginning, I would just go and I would watch uh, Stretch Armstrong and Clark Ken and Goldfinger and just rip off all of their routines. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not afraid to say, like, I know why Stretch, when he first came, and I said, it's like, was not happy with me because I wouldn't literally rip off his mixes, but he invented this, or maybe not invented, but his big thing was this thing where you'd be playing a song and then the line that everybody would sing, you'd turn the volume off, so it'd be like... Double X Posse Like oh no My gym hat like, broke Broke <laughs> <laughs> Yeah Joom <laughs> <laughs> right, So before the they knew song, You go to the, the next joint. song on, mm-hmm. the, on the thing And I just thought It was like Uptown baby Uptown baby We get down baby You know And ah like so this was uh, so and I love that I thought it was so clever and I just started doing it all the time (laughs) and then obviously in the beginning you're just picking up scraps of the people that you that you look up to but I guess I also I loved what was called rare groove music like from all that kind of like mid-tempo 90s like you know not really rare records but don't look any further baby i'm scared of you sylvia Mm -hmm. striplin and i would play all those and and i loved building a night and i was never afraid to play like seven hours like i just loved playing and eventually i got this sort of reputation as this dj had good taste knew the classics knew hip-hop knew how to build a room and that's when um i guess uh, also puffy and jay and those people were coming to the clubs i was playing so it was all this kind of nice dovetailing of I was uh, I
3: was going to say what was the name of the club? Damn! Now now you're you're now you're pulling me out where now I'm remembering that maybe I was a a, a New York club kid for half a second because um, I definitely remembered what was the club that was across the street from Justin's uh, oh, in Manhattan. Yes. I used yeah, I spent there a lot.
6: Yeah, uh, on Seventeenth. That was oh. Cheetah. Cheetah. Uh, cheetah. that was cheetah and a monday nights and jay shouts that out in uh and yes. do it again on one of those songs yeah man and, and, I, and he says i used to fill in on cheetah and then i did wednesday nights at shine and then fridays at life so every s- night that he mentioned in that cheetah monday night wednesday nights at shine effing with the model bitches friday night at life or whatever right. it is and i was like those are all mine Right. So. <laughs> no,
3: he, he used to, yes, he, he would often be there. Like, it was an event. Like, yeah. until until the APT came along yeah. and solidified Mondays. Yes. Like, you were basically, you know, usually my club nights would be, like, if back then, especially on Two Inch reel, you know, a mix with Bob Power would probably be something, like, kind of like eight, nine hours or whatever. So... Yeah, You know, if you're starting at three in the afternoon or something, like we get there late and the real gets there at four, you know, Bob is basically like, you know, get out of my hair and come back at midnight. Like, let me at least get the, you know, get the mix straight first before you guys start micromanaging. So usually, you know, on, on Mondays or whatever, come and yeah. see you play and whatnot.
6: What was it? All right, so well the, to be. The, I just wanted to clear out, too, because Jules and Julian were the main DJs on on Monday, specifically at Cheetah, But they would let me fill in, or I play the basement. So, otherwise, I well, don't yeah, get I mean, mad at usually me. Usually,
3: I'd watch your sets, right? You know, right. Thank so you. that's like my memories of it. All right, so one of the one of the discoveries we made in the last five years of doing the show is that. Um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the accomplished producers that we admire um, were great DJs. And, you know, that's the case with Jimmy Jam. Uh, definitely the case with Dr. Dre. And then, you know, when I brought this up to Dre, he explained to me that because of the, the the duress that he was under, he would say, like, if you basically played the wrong song, you might risk the club getting shot up. Yeah. So, he, yeah. So he was hyper aware of what he played, and he says that that informs him of how he produces. Because it's almost like there's no room for experiments. You have to be spot on. Yeah. Knowing what your audience responds to. So for you though, in that particular atmosphere, because the thing is is that I know I can get away with murder. And you heard me experiment and do crazy shit often. Mm-hmm. But I know I can get away with murder in front of a, a a particular crowd that will let me do that. But mm-hmm. you know, my clientele mm-hmm. was really never Puff or Jay-Z mm-hmm. or any of those like any of those parties that you know Steve Stout's going to show up at. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what is it what is what is the what is it like when you are the attraction at these particular parties because is it like what you really want to do, or what you think serves them, that keeps you working—like, what mind state are you in?
6: It's a little bit of both, you know. I I, I love starting the night at 10 p.m. because you could start building and you could play classics and different records and R&B and build it into the hip hop. I hated right. coming on at 12:30 when the party's at the peak and it's like, what's the first record? Like that just gives me like the anxiety of of life. But the parties that I was playing, I was pretty like. You know, this was—I was never on the mic. This is before people really cared or even looked at the DJ. Like they only looked at you if you fucked up, really. So, like, I love the anonymity of being a DJ and just keeping the night rocking, and that—that was it. But uh, I remember, like, yeah, occasionally I'd throw a curveball, or you know, after eight years of playing the same kind of show, be like, oh, I wonder if I could sprinkle like rock and roll in here or something. And I remember the benjamins was the biggest record at the time and uh there was that rock and roll remix of it and i was i wanted Mm -hmm. to play somehow i wanted to play back in black by acdc by the end of this set i was like i just got it you know when you go to the the set and you're just like if i can just play these one or two songs for me tonight like that'll kind of that'll do it (laughs) that'll do it and i remember i was like all right so right on the the biggie i'll switch to the rock version right on the Biggie verse cuz no one's going to stop dancing no matter what the fuck's happening if Biggie's rapping right and mm-hmm. then right on that thing when he goes that's all about the Benji uh, tch, da-na-na, tch, da-na-na. Da-na-na, like yeah. obviously like ac is is like kind of in the books as like a, as a hip hop breakbeat in some ways but not in the clubs where it was like a lot of you know people it's not like to- Billy Squire
4: a big beat and nothing yeah, like that it's not like, one of those
6: and it was like you know a lot of like cool people in downtown types and then a lot of like drug dealers who were spending 20 grand at like a banquette to like look cool so like one of the banquettes was right behind uh the dj booth and right when i played that once that was playing for like eight seconds this drug dealer with like his friends and a lot of money and champagne everywhere like leaned over to me and was like what the fuck are you playing i mean i can't remember exactly what he said but there were like times <laughs> when it was like definitely like you couldn't get too creative but um i think that yeah i had a mix i was playing those crowds some night and then sometimes i was playing for like slightly more like kind of you know just like miscellaneous crowds you could play more underground shit or different stuff so at at this period when you're
3: kind of like the 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 darling of of hip new york society as far as like being their go-to dj um you know like you were doing the, you did the the, the campaign with Aaliyah for Tommy Hilfig or whatever. So we knew you right. as DJ Mark Ronson. Like, what is? How are you navigating in this double dutch game of how to get in the ropes so that we now know that you are a musician and a producer? Like, at what point are you trying to figure out? how to really yeah. get inside of this thing so that we take you seriously as a producer.
6: Yeah. Well, I was trying all the time, to be honest. I, anytime I met someone at the club who rapped, I'd be like, come to my house tomorrow, like 1 PM and you know, let's make shit. And that was like when someone introduced me to Saigon when he had just got out of prison. it was like that, you know, Saigon and I would be together every day making music. And, but I really didn't, know what i was doing I, I probably thought i did like everybody does at that age oh i'm fully yeah. formed i'm arrived i know what i'm doing <laughs> and i was just figuring it out and then
3: was this uh, oh, wait let me interrupt one second was this was the first entry like okay you're going to be you're going to be making rap beats and and work with rappers i think so. And if, I th- and, and if that's the case what was the album what was the hip-hop album that called you to this is exactly what i want to do
6: Mecca and the Soul, brother. Oh. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, because. Uh, although I think
4: uh,
3: Main Ingredient is probably my favorite of yeah. the two,
4: but Mecca is still. I mean, that's. yeah. Yo, it's I'm funny
3: you said that. I ridicule Kanye for saying that publicly. But when I really think about it. I have a way different relationship with Main. even though my. Fa- it's almost like Control is my favorite album, but I yeah. know that 1814 is the better record. Right. Right. right, right. For me. I think it's only because the main ingredient is all that we had living in London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is without the internet, without computers, without change the station. Like, you have turn on the radio and you got to listen to Scatman 42 billion <laughs> times. Yeah. And, you know, like, for real, like, Scatman was the only thing on radio in Jamiroquai. So, it's like, ah, put that Pete Rock thing yeah. in. So, even though I never say that's my favorite record of theirs but i have a way more fuzzier memory of that saving my life than mecca and the soul brother yeah it's weird wow what was it what was about mecca for you mark like what was what
4: how why was that your your kind of work i
6: I played in a band i played guitar in this band in high school and the my drummer scott was just like he just loved rhythms he was a really good drummer and he did want to talk about like dave fucking depressed. i don't even know these drummers and paradiddles and like real like he was just into rhythms interesting mm. rhythms so he discovered it he loved it obviously probably because like the drum fills and the things that 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 spoke mm-hmm. to him and he right. just played me reminisce one day we had come home from like a band rehearsal maybe like a really late night gig and i was sleeping on his floor and he 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 played it for me, and I was so moved by it. I'd never heard a rap song that really hit me like that hard in an emo way. And I listened to it probably 11 times in a row that night after he went to bed. I was just like, wanted to keep hearing it over and over. And I think that that was probably one of the first things we had rappers come up on stage with us when we were like this band, but we were like sloppy kids. Like we were not uh, holding it down. So I was just like, okay, well, I'm not a rapper. I don't know anything about producing but i love this music and that's what kind of led me out of the band and to become a dj and then so that's why though it still has that uh once i did discover production i think that was always this kind of like i don't know touchstone what year did you start dj uh 90 93 so oh, just the at best. the end of my senior year um and i remember the first four 12 inches i bought at rock and soul i bought Time for some action. Rebirth of Slick, Ziggy raking in the dough, and the original yes. Wu Tang. Yeah, the original. You said the original of of Protect Your Neck? The original on ah, the on, the, okay. the, on the, Ooh, records, the, the Whatever. Disc
3: makers. Yeah, <laughs> Orange and yeah. 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 Yikes. Okay. Yo. I hope you still got that because that shit is worth money. Man, listen. Yeah, it's worth money now. I still say '93
0: yeah. was the best year. I don't care what
6: nobody does. really. '93 is your year like as well. Like for musically,
0: yeah, it was yeah. hip hop,
3: it was amazing. So, what was the what was your what was your weapon of choice when you are making these beats? Like, what did you did you start off on the three thousand yeah. and?
6: I got. I went in the store to get this MPC sixty, or I'd kind of saved up, or I had enough for half of it and then I was like I want to pay for this on layaway or whatever it is and he was like well by the time you're ready to pay it off actually the MPC 3000 will be out so I, <laughs> so, I so I managed to get that it was a year later and uh, I had made really archaic beats my stepdad you know being a musician had a S 900 or a, a Kai I don't even know which one it was in his studio it was the
4: 950 yeah the yeah, 950, 950 the 50, rack yeah. mount
6: mm-hmm. and, and I made some really like uh, uh, like really like rudimentary beats where I didn't know how to adjust the time but I knew that if I could get the samples to be exactly the same tempo and length that if I just hit play on both of them at the same time I could kind of make it work and that's and someone was like this kid that I was making beats for in my school was like you know that's what DJing is essentially like blending two things together on time you'd probably like that and so that was part of the reason as well that I'm sure that I've kind of led me to the path but MPC 3000 was my first beat machine
3: Oh, also, side note, speaking of uh, your stepfather, this is he's not to be mistaken for Mick Jones of The Clash.
6: Not That's to be another, mistaken. That's another Mick Jones. Yeah.
3: yeah, I was about to say, you got crazy <laughs> <It's a laughs> between lot of, Mick Ronson yeah, and Mick Jones, I know and the Mick Jones and the other Mick Jones. Yeah. Yeah, still legendary, but yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Because I was like, wait a minute, your Mick dad's Jones? not in The Clash. Oh, it, right. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Um, Okay, so would you, would you say your first
6: steady client was Saigon? He was the first, uh, like, I guess, rapper. There are some rappers um, from, my, from my school, like I went to Vassar College for one year, uh, and there were some rappers up there who I worked with, Lodi and Ian, lovely guys. And then I came back to the city, and someone introduced me to Saigon. So he was like the first person that was like over my house, and actually John Forte as well at the oh, time wow. i was good friends with john and we had this weird production duo called epstein and sons i have no idea why we <laughs> called it epstein and sons and uh we he would be over at my place all the time and so yeah and then and then saigon sometimes would bring down like stick and m1 from dead present i remember Prez, for yeah. very obvious reasons being like very nervous when they Came was, over to my house. Yeah, I, was like, was I don't. Like? I don't know what they're gonna think of me. And then also being slightly disappointed when they weren't like horrible to me. Like almost like standing in the front, sitting in the front row of a Don Rickles concert. And he doesn't insult he you. He doesn't like, What, what? I? Like, <laughs> What's going on? This is what I paid for. No, they were they were they were they were uh, very very cool and and patient with me because I really know now that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. But the person that really plucked me from like just anonymity like just to kind of d j was like djing the hot parties was our friend Dominic Trenneer
3: Dominic Trenier. yeah yeah and so t- t- tell the story ahead. of how that morphs into you can I say that is is Nika, like your first like major of course. work as a producer Nika by, Costa
6: of course by country mile for sure
3: okay wow so wait i I worked on like your first production i was like
6: yeah that's why i was so fucking spoiled i I laugh about that like the first time we go into the studio it's like i've been in the studio it's like you and pino and jane somebody was just saying like don't get used to this like i remember that for real yeah yeah
3: this this is one of those legendary moments where where you know like electric lady is just going to be just an open house of whoever comes in and you know it's it's not it's not normal for a person to be generous and let like usually like if someone finds a good sound in a good room or whatever they like lock it down and they're like no one else goes in this room but us but it was almost like you know d was like well you know obviously if i say 3 p.m i'll be here at 7 or 8 p.m so yeah you know whatever y'all do in the daytime is cool with me as long as that you know once i get there whoosh. so we would just take advantage of all those early hours yeah and work on other things <laughs>
0: like that album needs to be re-released in a way. Re-released. Yeah, because I feel like there's it a whole generation works. of people who don't understand yeah. Nick Acosta killed that shit and then dropped the mic and was like, I don't know. That's what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah.
6: It was the twentieth anniversary like last week and I was like, you know, <gasps> Nika uh, doesn't get, you know, a lot of prop- a lot of people anytime that song comes on, people are like, oh yeah, fuck, I love that song. My my fiance partner, whatever included. Like people because it was in the figure commercial, and then everybody mm-hmm. got their something. Yeah, that album. You know, ended up as the yeah. Mine was "So up. Have
4: I" for you. That was my favorite yeah. song on that record. "So Have I" for you yeah, was the one. I love, that, I love song. that song.
6: Yeah, no, she she really wrote some wonderful songs on that record. Yeah, thank you. So, what was what
3: was the collaboration process like with you, uh, Nick And I, I assume Justin also yeah. worked. Justin Stanley.
6: Yeah. So so Dom would come to the parties that I would DJ, like Life and stuff, and he would be like. I'd be playing one of my regular sets where so it'd be like Rufus Chaka Khan, EPMD, then the Biggie, and then at the end, maybe Seven Nation Army. Oh, that probably wasn't even out yet, but some kind of rock shit, Miss You by mm-hmm. the Stones. And he was like, he's like, I don't know if you make music or not, but like I have this singer and I just, like she's incredible. She has the best voice. And all I know is that her record's supposed to sound like this DJ set.
3: It, it's amazing that Dom saw something in you. D- yeah. That was Dom's real gift. Dom was able to see something in you that you yourself wouldn't see i would almost say like you know all right you know like puffy kind of has that he can sell you the brooklyn bridge thing against yeah. your will yeah. or like make there's you walk something about it him that makes cheesecake. you say yes even if it's like like i know instantly when he calls the yeah. phone i'm like no i'm not doing this gig yeah. i can't spend what's up playboy yo we got we got magic to me and then suddenly you're like Yes, Diddy, I will do yeah. the gig. Yeah. for 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 seventy percent off the price that I normally charge. Like, <laughs> yeah. But Dom also had. Dom was just one of the greatest motivational, yes, pushers. Like he's the one that talked all all that all the magic that came from Electric Lady. Chances are, Dom was there as yeah the foundation of
6: yo do this idea.
3: So you know
6: he he um yeah so he did and he's he's like i'll come to your studio i because i was probably just like yeah i i make beats or whatever he's like let me come to your studio so we do so i had this little studio in my bedroom at this apartment on sullivan street and he was doing space jam at the time or just finished it and he was like mm-hmm. i i need a remix of seal did fly like an eagle and i need a hip-hop remix so why don't we try i think that was like just to see if i could do anything a test and yeah, and it, it it was not very good. And I tell you, I almost feel like I can still remember him, like almost like holding my hand through like the production of this remix to try and get me to make it better. Like I, like you know, like I was doing these kind of Stevie J, Puffy type drums, a lot of shakers, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the four at the top thing, <laughs> yeah, all of it, and then and but then somehow I must have done something that just gave him a little more faith, and then. A couple months later, he brought Nika to my studio, uh, and I still didn't have the the match for her musicality. But then Justin, her husband, came into the equation, who was very musical and knew his way around a studio. And then that was kind of the the trio.
3: You were there for that, Steve. Were you? Were you not? Yes, I was there for I the. Remember, I remember. Yeah.
5: I, yes. Yeah. Russ Russ did all the work up, but I'm the secret sauce. It's the same old story. You got the bacon. <laughs> I get it. -hmm. Yes, I (laughs) would. I'm sorry. No, those were very, very cool sessions. I mean, very memorable for me because I was just starting out too. Yeah. And uh, the music was so good. So happy to be, because I had to do all kinds of different sessions where the music was of varying degrees of quality. Let's
3: say. (laughs) Yeah. I was about to say, if you're an engineer on a session that of a song you don't like, then I don't even know what that's like for a person. You know what I mean? Just to be held against their will, listening to a song where That shit ain't good. It's not good at all. Yeah, I remember. That, like my favorite was just because, man. That that shit could still right. be. That right. shit could come out tomorrow, and I'd still ride for that thing.
6: Like that's, and that's also uh, one
3: of my favorite. I I would probably say. That's probably if I were to compile a top five of like my drumming performance. Cause the thing is, the weird wow. thing is, is that I'm serving the song so much that I'd never get to not have fun, but just be be myself. I don't know if it's like me being yeah. tofu. Like I have to mm-hmm. bend to the will of what the song sounds the like. Yeah. Yeah. And with just because, usually if I wind up sounding like Steve Farron that's more like the natural me like yeah that's not me trying to sound like a break beat or me trying to redo this beat or not get kicked off my own song yeah because it doesn't sound hip-hop <laughs> enough or whatever so it's but i'll yeah i'll say that just because uh was was one of my probably i I'd, I'd put that in my top five like drum wow. sounds that i actually that i dig
6: I need to listen back. I remember Billy Preston came in and we were really excited for him to play piano. Right. And like, that was the whole thing. And he came into the studio and we were like, wow. And he just like sat there and listened to the whole thing. I was like, nah, the demo piano is pretty good. And she was like, no, no, no. That's just something that I just play. Like just for you guys. Mm-hmm. I don't hear it. I'll play some clap though. And like, that was it. There was like no talking. <laughs> like, we, were, we were just so psyched. Like Billy Preston's going to play piano on this thing. And he was just like, no, nah, I'll play some clap for you.
3: you got a chance to work on um i'm about to say the ooey record not ooey you're you're here here comes the fuzz because uh, yeah. your first solo joint. yeah
6: that was basically off the back of nika's album there was like a lot of buzz about it just before it came out and it was in this Figure commercial and uh i had this little moment of like you know it's there's it's never better than the moment just before the record comes out because it's just like the the possibilities are endless and you look just look like a, a you, you know, that's whatever. Mm-hmm. So I got this deal with Electro Records, that thing at the time because, you know, I had a little name as a DJ. Nowhere near like the name recognition of the Clues and the Flexes and the people that were getting those big mixtape deals. But I also had this record that people were excited about and Like a Feather and this slightly new sound. So got this deal and then uh then it took took me a year to make that record and that came out in 2003 um and st- i got dropped a week after the album came out because oh just, wow <laughs> wait yeah. what a Yeah, week? I pretty much got dropped like the record i think they spent a lot of money on it, it had hey, a lot of big cameos of on it Wii, they did but um i think that it just it you know did it charted in england where it was sort of like a you know number 12 or something but still yeah, i was it, gonna like, say i heard a lot enough. in europe yes a lot in europe it was big enough to make a little dent there but no i remember having to pay out of my own pocket to get nate dog and ghostface to come out to do the craig Kilborn show because at that point like a week later Electra just like closed the closed the budget wow so wow.
3: how did you at least at that point i think this that the fuzz came out what like two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand three, yeah, and it. Yeah, it was like around. Okay, so th- at that point, like, were you your own point person? Like, did you know Rivers Cuomo and Jack White and like all the people that were on that that first yeah, record?
6: For the most part, the people that I didn't really know personally were Rivers Cuomo and Jack White because they were sort of more from Rock World, and Jack was in Detroit, and Rivers is L.A. That wasn't, but mm-hmm. anybody else that could kind of call because of my you know just being in the new york clubs for so long and i even remember when Yassine then most came and we did our song mm-hmm. we were like you know what sounds so good on this mop like wouldn't it be cool if it was just like <laughs> the 70s when like eric clapton would call up like dwayne allman and be like come down and play on this thing i was like well let's just try and call them and see if they'll they'll come so we would like called uh lays or whatever the manager and then uh they did come they wow. just they came Three days later, we just didn't know. I was still waiting <laughs> in the studio. They came Sunday afternoon, but, it, you know, it was amazing. But, no, all the people, Freeway, um, Sean Paul, these were just people that I somehow had a relationship with from just, like, one degree of separation from the clubs or just, like, I knew them, you know?
4: Okay. When did, uh, when did because uh, around the time that I, I mean, I knew your, the stuff you did with Nick and everything, but around the time that I came became familiar with you, with the hip-hop stuff was with Saigon, because uh, y'all had the the dun dun record, and then yes. also with uh, with Rhyme Fest y'all yes. were working. Yeah, of course. How did how did how did all that come about?
6: Well, we used to play the foreign exchange record so much on the tour. Oh record. wow! Uh, Thank yeah, you so no, much. No, I loved loved it. Um, Thank you, bro. That came about through uh, my friend Ron Miner, DJ Indiana Jones, who you know Damn, passed away way really Ron sadly Minor. in the past. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy when you start talking about all these people that just don't seem that far away in your life. They're not with us, but anyway, Ron was. Rhinefest was Chicago, um, but was living in Indianapolis at the time. And and Ron, but uh, I knew, and it brought him to New York, and we just started hanging out. And I just loved the way that he just like he just liked all this weird other shit too. Because <laughs> I'm not very good at making straight up the middle music, at, you know, to a fault. Uh, I can't like pick a genre even within one song. But Mm -hmm. me and Rhymefest had a lot of fun together and then he kind of came on the road and then we had a label. We put out his record and yeah.
4: Yeah. Was Alito, was that the only, was his record the only record that came out on that label or did y'all put out anything else?
6: Daniel Merriweather. Oh, that's right. Daniel Merriweather. Right. And the first Wale album.
4: Wait a minute. Yeah, I've, oh, I've totally forgot. Before Wait he went minute. to
6: Maybach, everyone was way better after they left us. Except no, Daniel <laughs> was a, Daniel was a sold a lot of records because right? "Love and really War" good.
4: that was your that was yours, right? "Love and yeah. War" was the one you did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Chainsaw yeah. was my. Brother. I love that
3: song. Chainsaw oh, that's was so cool
6: child. that you know. That's great. Daniel would love listening to this. Wait a
3: minute. Ah, damn! This is killing me now. Because I was under the impression. Okay, I'll, I'll admit there's a lot of like transparency admissions by quest love this episode yes of course <laughs> i when i saw your label name i couldn't for some reason the, the it, i just it just read dildo to me
4: <laughs> <every time. laughs> wow okay, but yeah, I, I didn't i didn't expect that to come right out your mouth. but
3: the thing okay. is is that when i read it again i was like oh all i do because yeah. he probably loves it for a stevie wonder record What is the name of your label?
6: Well, that's the thing. It was all I do for the Stevie song. But the first records that Saigon, you know, put out a few singles with us and he would just yell out Alito like at the end of the song. We're like, OK, well, the first person who said our name as public record has already said Alito. You know, it's not a great. That's sign exactly
4: wh- what it was. I heard him say. Yeah. It, and and that's why I thought the label name was because Brian Fitz would holler too. Alito. Alito. Yeah. yeah. I was like,
6: it's, right. it's it's not a good sign when the people on, within the label can't even agree how to pronounce the you know, the title. <laughs> so, you know, that's how it was. But how did you say it, Mark? What, what Yeah, what was it? the why'd you name it that? It's so I don't know because dildo was already taken. So <laughs> we would be <were> like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's stupid. Uh I I just love this TV song and I I should have just made everybody commit to one pronunciation. Oh, oh so it is all, I all was I correct.
3: I was correct. It is all I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay, I was getting worried about myself for a second. I was like, "Damn, I have that wrong the whole time." Uh,
0: <laughs> when Music soul child album came out, was you mad because it was like everybody got those? Just uh, oh, <laughs>
6: the, the run-on <laughs> scenes, yeah, the I run-on thing, just, yeah.
0: just <laughs> no listening. But for some reason, they couldn't uh, get yeah. "All I Do." That's just
6: I love, I love the idea of like this kind of like bad, like nerdy comedy sketch of like mispronouncing all. The, uh, the famous famous rap label. So it's like, I'd like you to play this record by BitBoy. <laughs> <laughs> <Bid> Boy. <laughs> Boy records.
3: Oh, wait. That's another. Uh, see, I wish Unpaid Bill was here. Uh, it just hit me. I was trying to figure out. Um, remember when we were, we were trying to figure out what a Mondegreen was? Like mm-hmm. the Prince way of writing things out. And it's called a Mondegreen. Yeah. I wow. was I was trying to figure out who's the king of Greens now and that's yeah, that's music Soul Child's lane. music, yeah. That's un start, unpaid bill is not here for that. And All my right, mom so with
6: we- hashtags. My mom's hashtags on Instagram are just like crazy run on sentences that are just <laughs> yes. wild. Okay, so
3: Mark, two thousand six man, I mean I probably told you this story before, but to 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 even the the amount of paralyzed producers that sat and tried to figure this shit out when we got back to black and i I got a call from jazzy i didn't get a call i was in i was in barcelona and jazzy jeff uh instant messaged me whatever aol instant message and he's like man i'm depressed and he's Hmm. like what he's like ronson's king i was like huh and then he sent me uh the, the the file to the album and literally the the i i called and i was like wait who produced this and he says Mark Ronson i said no 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 DJ Mark Ronson he's like yes that Mark Ronson no DJ Mark like you know yeah. NPC yeah, 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 60 yeah. with the the, yeah. the New York Knicks yeah. beats that Mark Ronson he's like yes and w- i was just frozen, yo. I sat until showtime, I sat in that room and listened to that album for seven hours. So, how did you connect with with Amy at the time? Like, you just explained the the working relationship?
6: Yeah, like, well, I remember just on that Jazzy Jeff thing, I remember this because records weren't so global then. They didn't just blow up like this. So, like, I didn't know if people in America had heard the album yet. And I remember being about to board a plane in some airport somehow. And there was a message from Jazzy Jeff. And I heard on my phone. And he goes, yo, Mark, uh, this is Jeff. He had never called me before, but, you know, we were cool. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, what you just did, like everybody's fucking with this. Like, that was the first call I got from one of my peers or someone I looked up to is this affirmation of the record. It meant so much. I, rem- I remember exactly, I was standing outside looking at the window at the planes on the ground when I listened to that message from Jeff. That's how, like, much it meant to me. But um, to go back, so I met Amy because uh, i had had a little bit of You know, heat off of that We record in England just People kind of knew where I was And Guy Moot, who was the head of EMI Music Publishing At the time, amazing air, cool guy uh, Called me and he said Hey, Amy Winehouse is in in New York for a couple days Uh, You want to meet with her? and uh, i didn't have fucking shit else going on anyway but i was like yeah i remember that girl because i I, because made you look is one of my favorite tracks of all time and i loved her song in my bed i used to play it you know in the sets here Mm -hmm. um and she came to the studio and i met her and i actually met her at the front door and uh uh she came up the same time and she was like yeah i'm here to see mark ronson i was like yeah i'm mark and she goes no no like mark ronson i was like no, 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 I am I, I, him. And she goes, I thought you were like an old guy with a beard or something. Like, I think she just like probably heard my name for longer, like thought I was somebody, whatever. Was, was an old guy. Yeah, just like a different, like an older producer or something. She so, thought you were Mick Ronson. Yeah, that's it, exactly. <laughs> or Rick Rubin. Right, uh, Exactly. So we like went and uh, we went and sat in Le Pan Quotidien on Grand and Mercer and we just talked for a minute. I instantly liked it because she was so funny. I mean, you know, and uh, we came up into my room and, you know, usually at that point it was this thing where I'd play beats for people. Do you like this? Do you like this? But the minute she started talking about music, I just knew that I had nothing near what she was talking about. But it was so exciting. And I said... What kind of record do you want to make? And She says, well, they play this stuff down at my local, like the Shangri-Las and stuff. So we listened to it. And I was maybe a little familiar with something from like a Scorsese film, but I, that wasn't my shit. And then um, I was like, well, listen, I don't have anything like that, but if you come back tomorrow... Like, let me just fuck around tonight and come back and see if there's anything you like. So I stayed up all night and I was like running around in this live room back here, messing with every fucking instrument. And I came up with the chords on the piano for Back to Black. And I just put a little like kick and tambourine on it and put a fucking reverb on everything. Because I was like, oh, that's she likes this shit. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she came back the next morning and I was I was like nervous but I was also so delirious from being up all night like lack of sleep working on this thing and she sat behind me and I just kind of hit play I was like yeah I made this thing last night what do you think and she just kind of had her head down like this and and then uh, it finished and she just looks up and she goes yeah I love it I want my whole fucking album to sound like this because she never she had such it I wasn't even a poker face she just never was gonna like gush she didn't you know that wasn't her her thing Mm and so she like took the cd ran in the back room wrote like the words and the um everything in like an hour and and uh she stayed in new york an extra five days so we could do the rest of the songs and demo them and then i was using every plugin in the book to try and make it sound old i didn't know what the fuck i was doing and just about that time i had met dave guy and he had been playing on some other stuff i was doing i'd started to do this version record of these covers so they were playing I didn't know how to record a band. I could barely just record a horn section. So they had just played me this Verizon commercial they had done with Sharon Jones that was like a cover of Signed, Sealed, Delivered or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. I was like, wait, you guys made this like like today? Like how this, you know, this <laughs> sounds old. I don't understand how this happens. Like, yeah, it's Gabe, man. He's a genius engineer. It's so the guys and we play and this is our other band. So I asked Amy, I played it for Amy. And I was like... Yo, this shit sounds incredible. Like, right? let me go ask this band to play these demos, these songs we've been working on. She said, "I play it for." She goes, "Yeah, it's the nuts." Like that was her expression of something <laughs> was really good. She liked that fucking Verizon commercial, whatever it is. So then, so fucking by that
3: point, you you'd never heard of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings and. Just that whole underground Brooklyn-y...
6: I knew the stuff on Pure because I had sampled something off there on my first record. So something else they had done. But I didn't really know the Brooklyn scene. And because I got dropped from my a- my label rather unceremoniously a week after my album came out, apparently some of the samples hadn't been paid for either. So when I finally oh. met Gabe Roth... Ooh. Wait. Did you do Brand New from Fest? No. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I thought that. Kanye did Your joint. Okay. Okay. I was walking past the Mercury Lounge. I probably knew somehow how I was going to get in touch with the Dap Kings, but I didn't really know. And it said tonight, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. I was like, "Fuck! These are the guys I'm looking for," you know. So I walk in <laughs> off the street, and Gabe's kind of like closing up his base. The gig is over. I'm like, "Hey!" I start talking a mile a minute, probably trying to give him the cell, and da da da. He like clicks. He's like. I, you the guy that sampled, yeah, I never got paid for that song that you sampled uh, from your record. I was like, I'll definitely take care of that. Yeah, I'm so sorry, and da, da da and like, can you just come and like, if can I play these demos and like, if you like him, maybe like we could work something out and we could do the record it. And so I think Gabe just relented eventually, and he came to my studio a couple of days later. Amy was already back in London, and I played the demos, and Gabe was like. Okay, well, I may mean, I have to check with Homer. Like Homer, it's hard for him to get someone to watch his dog a lot of the time. And like he just didn't care. Like it was, <laughs> they're so in their own world. He wasn't caught up. There was nothing that would have enticed him about money. I think he always found, and he said this before, the Amy songs quite intense emotionally and like a little down. And their music is so uplifting and soulful that like he also wasn't quite sure about like the lyrics and stuff. You know, it wasn't really his thing. He's a very pure like instinctual guy gave. But we got it together and uh, we caught, Amy wasn't here, but I had all her vocals from the demos on a CDJ that I brought to the studio and the band, you know, doesn't play to click. So the band would start and I would run Amy's acapella on a CDJ, on speeding CDJ? it up and slowing it down with the band so they could hear the wow. vocal while they track. Like uh, you know, so you is, so
4: you pitch well, not pitch, but you're changing yeah, it tempo with the CDJ tempo. With adjusting, this, with so the CDJ. they
6: so they hear her voice while they're tracking from the demo, and the one song I really didn't have an arrangement that I liked for uh, was you know I'm no good. I kind of hated it, and I didn't know what to do with those chords because it was kind of like it reminded me of like a Spanish flamenco I thing because of the chords, and I had this very on-the-nose beat that was like, boom, but it hurt that, and I remember just playing that one for the band we had already done Back to Black and some of the other shit, and I was confident enough to be like, I hate this thing that I did. Can you guys just think of, like, anything cooler to just play right there? And I think, like, three seconds, Homer and Nick looked at each other. And I was just like, how about... Oh. And I just remember just being like, this is one of the greatest moments of my life. I know it. I know <laughs> it, you know? So you did all the tracking at, at, at Daptone Studios? reason i'm coming off the mic is because i rem i just found because these are the lyrics to back to black how she wrote them uh wow. in the back row wow. oh, man. and it's got uh, these are going to a museum and shit but like just for the last couple of days i get to, to hold on to them but oh. um yeah it's even got like a phone number of this guy like bronquez who used to do this thing last night's party, so she must have got his number the night before and right. all the other shit that anyway. is
4: amazing man what
0: museum um, is it going to be in
6: Oh, anybody who wants it. I mean, I'm just, i just—I just realized, like, I found these re- r- rather recently, and I just realized that I j- do not need to have these. These need to be somewhere uh, where people can place. like see it, and enjoy it. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, okay.
4: I wanted to ask you, Mark, man. What was the? Um, what were your thoughts on the Amy documentary? Um, the one that, uh, the one that came. I saw it in theaters. I can't remember the name of it. It was years ago, right? but um, yeah, I think it was just. It might have been just Amy. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And do you think that captured? in your opinion, you know, who she really was as a person?
6: I remember the first hour of it, I was just in love with it because you got all of the joy of Amy, all the humor, the wit, like the the talent. I hadn't even really understood how amazing the lyrics to songs like Fuck Me pumps and stuff on the first album that I wasn't that familiar was until I saw that. I was like, wow. And it was like spending time with an old friend. The second half, is is very hard to watch, but I thought it was well done. I have a little bit of a problem relationship with it because, you know, Ray Cosbert and her dad are people that I care about and that Amy cared a lot about and probably wouldn't feel great about them being treated disparagingly, but then it was also a brutally honest film, so uh, it, I thought it was a very difficult to watch. I've only seen it once, but I did think it was a powerful film that was like, I think as I saw that Senna film and I was like, the other documentary that guy made first, I was like, this guy's going to make a movie as weighty as her work. Like, I feel like she deserves a great filmmaker.
0: All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything AT&T.
3: This is what I want to know. Because you and and, and Salam sort of held the majority of the weight of, of the album that production. Yeah. Are you two comparing notes? Are you hearing each other's demos? Because the thing is is that sonically, that album um sounds, you know, nah, it's seamless. It's it's is absolutely seamless, but you know, how are you two even knowing what the do you are you guys even comparing notes like what the other is doing to make that make it that way? And who sort of gets the Who's the fifty one percent to the forty nine? Like who decides? Yeah. song um, order and all that stuff. Really, I'm asking why was "Addicted" treated like a a bastard stepchild? I know that wasn't your song, but yeah. In the London version, the album opens with "Addicted." Wow. In the American version, it's like the last song. Like, it, yeah. The American <laughs> version opens with "Rehab," and I'm like, wait, what okay. the fuck?
6: Like, yeah. 'Cause they're like Americans have short detention spans. We have no, to, just get to the, <laughs> the, hit the song they know. The, the song. Right. I don't I, I really get don't know I'm sure I'm sure she had nothing to do with that either. But um yes, I think to be fully honest, Salam and her had an incredible musical bond and uh Salama's made many of my favorite tracks like stone cold yeah. fucking i mean classics. just the fact that he
4: bought you know you said i mean you said your 12 inch was breaking in the dough i'm like man that's yeah that's salam, a full circle that's moment, you know? Fuji-la, yeah.
6: all of it um and uh but i think that they were doing a similar thing a little closer to what they had been doing on on frank and they heard and salam heard that, The demos or amy said she was very excited about it and then Salam took it in a more of a live direction that maybe he would have done anyway but i think he was probably excited to get to do that as well
3: so initially his work was more contemporary and whatnot and then once you brought it to the 60s then he adjusted his music accordingly
6: yeah yeah that's what i've been told yeah okay word
3: okay i get it
6: you know in in a in a
3: year of highlights like in 2006 2007 especially when you win producer of the year like what's what's going through your mind as they're reading off the nominations and i mean by that point were you basically like i got this or
6: no no because it was still like you know T- T- uh, timbaland was up and i was like they could easily give it to him for like a life service whatever but you know i'm not an idiot going i'm gonna, not going to pretend like i know what ticks grammy voters boxes and this was like a record that really fell in that zone because it had touches of the classics in the past and it's like a nod to the old school shit. um but um no mm-hmm. i don't i do remember i was very hungover at the grammys which because i was just like part like that was my first time at the rodeo suddenly i kind of made it like i'm like high fiving rihanna at some party the night before like with my stupid like beatles blowout bob or something that i was wearing but um i i was pretty hungover it was very surreal i do remember when they read out producer of the year my friend had to like kind of like shake it was like hey they said your name like you know like it's in the movie but the grammys (laughs) themselves i took my mom and, uh, you know, we sat next to each other. Obviously, it was my first time there. But, like, you know, there's no food. There's no water. You're hungover. It's like, you know, it was basically like sitting next to my mom in synagogue on Yom Kippur. It's like the same thing. It's just like, okay, when is this going to end? But uh, it was uh, it was also a magical night. Where do you keep your Grammys? Right now, they're in storage. I Because um, <laughs> I'm, like, moving in between places. but um okay. Yeah, yeah. Only be ask because,
3: like, majority of people use them as doorstops or, you know, well, kind of like, the, eh, yeah, you know, whatever.
6: That's the thing, and I remember it was so cool, like, when we got the ones for Amy that Gabe Roth from, you know, tones was just so cool. And he, like, sent his to his grandmother because that's how little he cares. But at that point, like, mine were definitely on the fucking mantle. Like, it was the first thing you saw <laughs> when you walked into, into a house. And so, yeah, he was a little more t- spiritual than I was i want to ask you
4: about valerie man um that what made y'all cover that song because i i was surprised Like even though i knew the album you know version it didn't occur to me i'm like this is a cover i thought that was yeah. her song <laughs>
6: you know what i mean yeah um, mm-hmm.
4: what what um, drew y'all to cover that
6: um so basically i'd finished i've been doing this album of version of like concurrently and basically it was because i was tired of in my dj sets whenever i played a song occasionally by the smiths or Radiohead of like maybe being in danger of getting a bottle thrown at my head so i was like i wonder if i can <laughs> take these songs that i love by these bands and like re and just cover them and just make them in a yeah. way that i can play them in my sets so i made this covers of like of you know these were rock songs and uh at the very end um i was finished back to black with amy and i was like hey it would be a shame we've done all this work together if you weren't on my record like uh we should think of something do you know any guitar songs because all she knew was fucking Nasmos and like you know the new birth so she said <laughs> she's like <laughs> That's wow. <so> on point <laughs> i was like i she's like i know this one song they play at my local it's called valerie and she played it for me, the Zutons version. And I kind of didn't hear it at first because it was like a stodgy kind of rock, like mid tempo stonesy thing. But yeah. she knew those two chords, those classic two soul chords going back and forth was like, and what her voice would sound like over it. And we just wrote a quick chart. Went in the room. It was the first time she had met the Dab Kings. They'd played all over a record. The record was out, but she had never met them. So it was kind wow. of a magic moment. She once called me actually from England when she must have first got the album booklet and she was like, Is there a Matt? do you mean to tell me there's someone named Binky tight who played on my album? And I was like <laughs> I was like, Yeah, he's fucking amazing. And so she came to to Brooklyn, there was a big love in and then we were like, Let's do this Valerie song. And we played it and they did it in a really nice like what's that band of the, that Curtis Mayfield produced, the young kids in the sixties? They, oh, the were, like, they uh, were like the five stair steps or Yeah, to like as two sisters and two brothers, they did Try Love Again. The creation. Creation oh, creative okay. for Creative Source? Creative, creative. S- No, fuck not. Nah, no, joking. I wasn't
4: creative source because that was uh which uh, kind it.
6: That was Okay. Mm. Well anyway, they were like Stumpy. one of those like they were like a kind of they had a big song Try Love Again anyway so we they did it in a very Curtis like 1966 style and I liked it but there was just that greedy like hit maker fucking part of my brain that like literally everyone's packing up the instruments I'm like you guys are going to kill me, but can we just do like one version where like you just really just go like, dun like really simple, like just dumb. And so they're like, ugh, like open the guitar case back up, go back in and plug in. And then that was the version that, that kind of one. like, yeah, because it was poppier and more instant like that. You know? Nah, I, I love that song, man.
4: Uh, what was, you mentioned Radiohead, what Radiohead song would the you Natural play the Four.
6: The Natural Four. The Natural was Four was the band. Okay. Sorry. okay. Um, the Radiohead song, well, I used to, Q-Tip loves Radiohead, and whenever we were in his car, he would play Just. We were listening to a lot of Radiohead, but the song Just, and that guitar part in the middle. Like, I was so in love with that thing. I would just want to play that part over and over again. So I would just, you know, that was the song we covered. So you that
4: was like, that was the Benz. Y'all was like Benz or I didn't know if he was playing, like. Kid A shit
3: <laughs> well,
6: I, <was> <laughs> I, w- I, w- I probably would have But I wasn't Like crowds weren't cool enough I don't think I ever played Radiohead actually In a club But you could play The, the oh, one you could disc, totally do Idiotech, that Idiotech Idiotech yeah, I was yeah. going say
3: Idiotech that, that's, my, that's my sleeper Yeah You know like, ev- When you wind down the set And you know it's yeah. gonna be empty Play And Idiotech. everything
6: Yeah Everything yeah. in its right place When they play that live Like that is so fucking euphoric When he's on yeah, the electric roads And just mm-hmm. the kick drum Okay,
3: so I, I got to know G- Glass Mountain Trust. Oh my god. <laughs> Man, first of all, for real, for how real. How did you how did you wind up pulling that off? And how long did it take? And how many
6: Advil did you have to take? Okay, so this is the thing, and I fully feel... I I almost have guilt of, like... I feel like I'm not worthy of having, like, the one D'Angelo song from, like... that that came out during that era, almost. And, like, I wish that if I knew it was going to be that, that I had made it a better song or something. But uh, Dom was just back in my life at that moment and coming to the studio. And we were making the studio at... um, tommy who does all the menahan street band and charles bradley stuff and the budos band at, at his studio in brooklyn and um a lot of people were coming in and out mary j blige had come by john legend i was working my record so d came by and just like had that jesse johnson guitar and like just jammed with us one night and uh it was kind of fun and then i just had this track and uh the thing that's just kind of Funny is that, or funny, or whatever you want to call it, is um, we had just made up in that old days of, like, putting a blank CD with a track on it to mm-hmm. give to somebody. I was like, well, what do I write on it? And I just asked my friend Anthony, who wrote He's like, I don't know, just write Glass Mountain Trust. Uh, that sounds fine. So I brought <laughs> it to, gave it to Dom and brought it to D And D was... Um, co-writing lyrics a lot at that time with the woman who was in Funkadelic was it or do you know i'm talking about oh um yeah Angie. it's she co-wrote yeah. uh, black Andy messiah Stone. um yeah oh.
5: yeah what and No, no no you're talking about kendra no, foster uh, kendra foster yeah, kendra yeah. Foster. Kendra yeah, foster. yeah so oh.
6: so and then so uh, you know the song the cd was out for a, a week turned to three weeks turned to two months and dom kept being like no it's gonna make mastering don't worry and like sure enough it did but um when mm. i finally saw d like uh much later he was like yo man he's like that, that song's so cool and you know i'm so sorry it took so long but like i was just really trying to get to the core of what glass mountain trust meant lyrically
2: and i was like oh
6: no mm. like you, this is a he joke thought ti- that's what it was <laughs> it's a joke title like he was just taking <laughs> he just wanted to make sure that he like honored he was like and he did make it really cool it was about smashing a like a mountain in half when you like feel like you're being trapped in a by a lover, right. like I was I, some shit. and I was just oh like, wow, God. right?
0: Can you get that song? I just see it on YouTube, that yeah, album. it's out, yeah, it's, it's
6: on his um, own version. It was no, it was on it's my a, album record collection, your, the next album, it's on, it was okay. the yeah, I'd, 2010. I'd never heard
3: yeah. D sing aggressively, so it might sound CeeLo ish a I, little bit because he yeah. just never sings in that in, in the particular. Way that he's singing it. It's like he has his way of singing on his records, but this is very different than his other records. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Man, I just wanted uh, to tell you, you know what I mean? Just, I'm so glad we're having the chance to talk. I just wanted to thank you for the Uptown Special Record, man. Like, I love that album. Like, that's my favorite Mm -hmm. one of yours. And it very much for me was somewhat of a main ingredient kind of effect. Uh, Just because the first single, like when I heard Uptown Funk, I was like, okay. I mean, I thought, I was like, all right, this is cool. Yeah, yeah.
6: yeah. But I'll
4: check the album. And then I heard the album and I was just blown the fuck away. I was like, yo. Um, So just... Man, I mean, for, from the the songwriting perspective, the the writer that you brought in, uh, uh, Chabon, Michael uh, Shabon, Michael Shabon, yeah, yeah, Michael Shabon, yeah. Um, talk talk with me about that. Like, what was he? Was he just sending lyrics? Did he help with melodies? What because he's yeah. What was it like working with a writer
2: for a, yeah. a record?
6: Well, I, I I knew I wanted to make an album that was like a little more sophisticated musically, and Jeff Basker had like written "Try yes. Sleeping with a Broken Heart" and like a couple of these things that were just like really cool, clever, quarterly And I knew he was a Berkeley guy, and we had met through Bruno. And so I was like, "Let's make write some Steely Dan shit." And then. Like, we had some cool In chord case progressions. Of fire, I love that fucking song. Oh dang. So <laughs> we, started, we started writing some songs and then we tried to do our shitty version of like Steely Dan lyrics and they sounded, they were so bad. They were like the worst <laughs> like 70s AM rock one hit wonder like when they, people tried to start making clever stories after Steely mm-hmm. Dan, but they were just like not like almost like a little like a ride like the wind we were closer to christopher uh. cross ride like the wind so we're like well what do we need is to get an author to write these lyrics instead so i was like well i love this guy michael shaban and i feel like i saw his name on an email once so i was was supposed to be bcc but everybody got cc so <laughs> i'm gonna write him I, I feel like i know this guy loves music and I wrote him a really polite thing, and I said, I'm a huge fan of yours. You wrote my favorite book of modern fiction, this book, Cavalier and Clay. And I said, do you want to try and be a part of this thing? And he was like, F- yeah, I love fucking Steely Dan. They're my some of my favorite authors ever. Let me come yeah. down and, um, and, and mess with us. So we were in uh, Venice at Jeff's Spa, um, and we just started doing it. Sometimes he would give us lyrics, and that would kind of just like sometimes it was great reading lyrics because suddenly melodies would like form in my head melodies i never would have thought of if i was just like sitting down so that was fun and then sometimes we'd just give him the songs with like a a melody going down or down or down it'd be like now you have Mm -hmm. to make syllables to all of that Mm -hmm. yeah
4: yeah. Nah, man. That record, that was just such a. It was such a big, just a surprise a because I didn't. Because Uptown Funk was like big and you know glossy and kind of like. It, yeah. I mean, it became just this monster hit. But the stuff on there, like the Summer Breaking, and Thanks, with man. Kevin, no, I'm really proud dude. of that stuff. Really, like, like uh, I love.
6: I love those songs. I mean, now I listen to it and I feel like we're going a little like too on the nose for the CD. Then like really like the music and the lyrics and all of it, but like it's it. I still really. I still really, I mean, I haven't listened to it in so long, but I'm I'm proud of that music.
4: Yeah, it's odd that y'all, you thought Silly Dan. I I didn't get that vibe. I mean, now that you say it, I I hear it. But I wasn't thinking that. I definitely, like, when I heard In Case of Fire, to me it sounded just like some kind of dirty, like, bar band shit. You know what I mean?
6: (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, yo, this shit is is cool. I I had that riff around forever, and it was actually, like, I wrote it as a coda to, like, a fucking Rufus Wainwright song and he never wanted to oh, use wow. it. So I gave Rufus publishing on that riff because I was like, well, this kind of this riff really did come because I yeah. wrote it as a code of his Yeah, song. I saw
4: I saw you gave publishing on two on the uh, the I can't lose joint to uh, Pal, Pal Joey I get well. Oh yeah, because the drum,
6: the drums, yeah. the drum break from Hot music. Yeah,
4: and the singer one that talk to me about that because she was, I mean, she I hadn't heard of her before, and I read the story of like how y'all were looking for like a singer. For that particular song, and y'all kind of wanted to get kind of an unknown, yeah. you know?
6: Yeah, me and Jeff decided, Jeff is, like, very smart and, like, has his very, like, uh, it gets caught in an idea, and it's like, there's no stopping until we get there. And he's, <laughs> um, he had this idea that we should really, like, if we wanted to make a, an album influenced by blues, r and gospel, that we should drive from new orleans all the way up like the delta along the mississippi the same way that that music also migrated and we drive dr- drive there and go to churches drive. and everything so and and look for singers too so like our dumbass, like all we were missing was the blues brothers suits and the sunglasses <laughs> <laughs> so, we, like, so but it was amazing and we did and like we went like that's why like we went to like Jackson, Mississippi. Like that's why that lyric ended up in Uptown Funk because like mm-hmm. Bruno was just like you went to Jackson, mm-hmm. Mississippi, and we went to, you know, found um, um, mystical in uh in, in Louisiana, in, uh, Louisiana. Was yeah, it in Baton Rouge not, not or was it in in Baton Ridge? Rouge, exactly. Sorry, which yeah. is my brain is spacing now. But um, yes, yeah, and so all that stuff that happened on that trip, and then Kiani, we met in in Jackson, and she was just an incredible singer and just had a great tone and a nice burnt like bit, bit to her voice and we mm-hmm. just yeah we just put her on the whole record
4: how did you get the story of stevie playing harmonica and i totally understand you so real for bringing him back for that second like using it again for cracking the pearl <laughs> part. yeah because i would have did the same thing I'd, yeah. have, I'd have re-rocked that shit again yeah yeah <laughs> what was what was that like man
6: I had this song that we had written and I had this melody to this Michael Shaban lyrics and every time I tried to sing the words, I didn't really like it that much. It, it just like, I just felt like it should be instrumental. And then I got so caught up in my head and... You know, Stevie, like a lot of us, my favorite musician of all time, particularly his harmonica playing is so evocative. And I just started saying, like, out loud to myself, you know, the only thing that should really play this melody is Stevie Wonder on the harmonica. And, like, it, I was, like, making sure not to say it out too loud because it sounds crazy. <laughs> and I, I had this thing, and towards the end of the record, I was just like, I, I'm just going to send. Rob Light at CAA, who I just signed there, and he was like really cool, and he said he was close with Stevie. I was like, "Can you just send this thing to him and just see?" Uh, and I wrote like a really, you know, f- note. Fuzzy nuke. Like,
7: <laughs> real, real, yeah,
6: real nice post-it note. And then, uh, and then it's like, yeah, same thing. D Day, like day before mastering, I get this thing in my inbox that said Stevie Harp session, and it was so intense to see it. Like, I actually couldn't even like open the session i was just sitting in front of the space bar for like 20 minutes because i was like the magnitude of this moment i just hit (laughs) the start and it sounded exactly like i thought it was going to sound but better it was like um uh it was just such a crazy thing to hear this thing that you love so much it's defined so much of what you do like play this thing back you know Nah,
4: just that was that's a great record, man. I just I just want to just you. thank you for that. That record really it really resonated with me and it got me through just that time in my life. I was I was running that shit nonstop. Thanks So, so much, thank you, man. man. Thank okay, you. Okay, I
3: know we got minutes left and we didn't even okay. get to your Oscar. Okay. So I I will just <laughs> I will basically Yeah, that did just, happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I will basically try to figure out how to wrap this up. So by this point, of course, now the world is coming to you Work on my shit, work on my shit, work on my shit. And you're getting bigger and bigger caliber names working with you. Just in general, like when you, what is the criteria of of what you need in order to inspire you to work with someone? Because I'm certain that you might have had some no's that weren't just, I don't have time to do it, but I don't know if that's a fit. Because I also know that producing people is also like babysitting them, learning like, Jedi mind tricks. So before you take on a client, like for instance, uh you you doing the um the Joanne record with Gaga. Right. Like do you is there an initial play date period to see is it dinners first to see if you're the guy for the job or not, or
6: yeah, you know. uh, well, I knew her from from a while before, and then I saw her blow the hell up because I had worked while A was on our label, and she was on that first chilling song. That's of right, his. she was on, yeah, okay, and wow. and that was just before she blew up. And then I remember, you know, seeing all the milestones along the way until she was like global domination, right? And uh, and so yeah, I, she she had just finished the Tony Bennett thing, and I finally had like my first hit, kind of like Uptown Funk, and. Uh, she was like, "Let's let's mess around," and we just, yeah, it's always like a play date first. We're like, "Let's see how we vibe." let's just do five dates and see how it goes. And and we had an instant rapport, and um, and that's how it always goes. Really, I mean, I'm I'm kind of still terrified. Like, I don't really love working with big people because. The expectations and i love working with new artists because they're so excited and the joy of their them being on their first voyage is so that's like my fountain of youth almost but i think also sometimes okay
3: yeah
7: yeah
6: and and then sometimes it's probably because i'm like a coward and i don't want like the fucking heads of the labels like leaning down on me like you better deliver a hit like there's something about when the expectation is is off Mm-hmm. All my biggest stuff has really come in my lowest periods, kinda like Amy, nobody was checking for me. Then I had a, a couple of hits and no one's checking me for again. Then I worked with Bruno and then like just these kind of ups and downs, you know. So i f mm. I'm too like fucking sensitive to the pressure and all that shit. But um one of my I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but one of my
3: favorite moments in life, I think I don't know why, but I I I'm I believe that me and Steve got to witness Gaga listening to the Joanne record,
0: yeah, uh, Electric Lady, right?
3: In its completion. Oh, so we were all there. Were yeah, we, we were all watching this?
0: Recording an episode of Quest Love Supreme, and we was like, "Who with is Dave that girl Chappelle, over right? there?" Yeah. Was it with like, Chappelle? Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
3: it might have been Chappelle. Okay, I totally forgot that. Yeah, uh, And we were. <laughs> she was rocking. Kind of watching her, like she was kind of dancing <laughs> like nobody was watching. Yeah. Wow. Like obviously she didn't know that we were watching her behind the. In studio C upstairs.
6: Well, they had they had covered most of the. There was a big glass window that looked into the control room, and I didn't know it was you guys because also Frank Ocean had been in a lot, and he's like very secretive. Like everything gets boarded up, so there was just a sliver of glass that you could just. Kind of see at the top, and she and Gaga was going so crazy that night. I remember and she was like flipping her hair around as a blonde, so like I remember Chappelle saying, like, all we could see was just some crazy white woman, like, whipping her head, like, the <laughs> yeah. blonde hair was just like whipping around like a lasso, and uh, and yeah, and that was just we trying like, to get always. the attention,
3: like, yo, y'all see us in here, right? And then when we realized that she couldn't see us, but no. it was like a police station, like, yeah,
6: I was but like, that's oh, it's crazy
0: because Mark was there. That's crazy, yeah,
6: I think I remember being, I think I was in the room. That that night because i remember that dance this is yeah this is definitely yeah for real i know you have to go but i
3: i gotta ask this one last question and this is such an anti-climate so i want to know how did you guys manage for and i'm speaking of shallow um how did you guys manage to bypass the oscar rule of no more than four people writing a song because uh, it's you, Wyatt, Gaga, and
6: uh, Anthony. Yes. Yeah, and, and, so it's four. Yeah, it yes. was four. But is is that is that is the rule? You can't have four. Is the rule two so, or something? So the,
3: the rule the rule it it has to be like an exception. Like in order, when I saw those four names on the ballot, then I instantly knew, oh, this is winning because they they broke the rule for this. Because oh, even oh, with wow. like other situations where like in common song, like he just had to. Paid Rheinfest a grip of yeah, money to, yeah. to, you know,
6: and his attention. And got a Grammy eventually. I mean, an Oscar eventually because I saw it. So there must be something that on the night only certain people maybe get up or something. Right. Okay. Invites. I, or maybe Rheinfest doesn't have an Oscar. Maybe he doesn't. I don't think maybe he, he does. A, no, I've seen Rhymefest Grammys, right. Of course, for Jesus Wallace. But yeah, you're right. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. In, in the Oscars, you, you can't have more
3: than three writers on. Yeah. A song. They're trying to change the wow. world now, but okay. I was like, damn. Because like, yeah. when I looked at it, I was like, somebody's going to get gagged here. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who draws the short- shortest straw? But what was it like that night to win that Oscar?
6: I mean, it was so nuts. I mean, it was just there and... I'm not going to lie, like, it's always a little like it, people were telling us in the right carpet the whole time, like, you know, you're the shoe and this thing. And it's like, let me just enjoy, like, but let me be surprised, whatever it is. Cause then the yeah. only thing you have is disappointment. Like, you don't know. Right. You never know until they open that yeah. uh, fucking envelope that what's going to gonna happen.
3: Chadwick's widow. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. So,
6: so, so, but that moment when they said it, and first, Bradley and Gaga gave that incredible performance before, and I was just like a fan in the audience, like
1: "Oh my god!"
6: Um, right. And then, uh, and then they said it, and we just got up, and it was actually kind of funny, like because uh, at the Golden Globes they had said that I was allowed to give the speech, and I thought that was really sweet, and maybe they were like, "Gaga might win the actress, so she's going to speak mm-hmm. later." So, Mm -hmm. so at the Golden Globes, like I was, you know, really nervous, but I wanted to say and thank Bradley and be eloquent, whatever. At the at the Oscars, I was like. Nobody wants to hear us speak. This is Gaga's night. And I was kind of the bad guy amongst Andrew and Anthony, who are two of my closest friends. I was like, we just got to shut up. And, and they're kind of like, what? Not even like, thanks, Mom. I was like, I just don't think it's the night for that. So everyone's right. like, all right, asshole. So we're on the way to the Oscars. <laughs> and, and they re- read out the thing, and they win. And Gaga goes up, and she makes this beautiful speech. And then she just, and da-da-da. And I went, and then she just looks at me and goes, and, uh, Mark? So I'm like, oh, fuck so i just say something really quick like <laughs> hey you can't thank yourself so we would like to thank you but like i look like such a dick to my friends We're like no one's gonna speak on tv unless it's me all right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah um but it was Sorry. the most magical night and i just remember be- like the four of us feeling like such a crew like that night and just like like just like running around and fucking just feeling like it was wonderful and then uh and then everything else like that after that sucked. Once we left the shrine or whatever that building was, but, but no, it uh, wasn't.
3: It was the, dope. It was one of the dopest parties I've ever been to.
6: I I I was with I was in a relationship and I was a lot of fighting and shouting and not. It wasn't. Really right, That's the, late, so night right, right. That record, the <laughs> late night feelings record, right? Thank you for that record, by the way. Late night feelings. Thank you for
3: that record, by the way. Mark, I know you got to go. Um, Can we man, plug the
6: Apple Show really quick?
0: Yeah, I was wondering when you was going to mention
6: the podcast. The <laughs> Fader on Let's coverage, uh, you know, the, where I interviewed, you know, cover stars. The Fader obviously has a great track record of getting people right at that moment just before they blow up and take over the world. And you're still our most popular downloaded episode from uh, so far from that. Thank you for being thank on. I, I love
3: being people's first pilot
6: episodes yeah, of their yeah, podcast. Yeah. So um, thank you, man. And that was great. And And then I've done this show, which you're also in. Watch the Sound for Apple+, Plus, which is a six-part documentary series on sort of like how music is made. Like each episode is a different subject. Distortion, reverb, synthesizers, drum machines, auto-tune, and samplers. So it's like everybody from yourself to McCartney to Tame Impala to Too Short to the Beasties to Premiere to Wale uh, at T-Pain talking about these devices and why these devices gave them superpowers that they didn't think that they knew how to be creative and lifting the veil of how this shit gets made and just in a very like human and creative way so uh, I've I've been working on that for the past year and a half so it's very exciting. Great idea.
0: It's brilliant.
6: Yeah. Yes. Dope content.
3: Mm-hmm. Mark. Thank you. All sincerity man you I'm um, a, 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 an immense fan of yours and mm-hmm. it's really dope to see you not even come up. Flourishing. Flourishing. Yes. Yes. You you've passed arrived. Uh, Is there anything that you've yet to do that you want to do?
6: I think that I just still like sometimes when I come here and just start to sit down to write something like I know I'm still learning. I know I'm still getting better. I might have my biggest records behind me for sure. But I still feel like, oh, yeah, I want to learn that thing today. And like, or like I want to be able to get back that feeling when I was on my MPC, whatever it is. So like I, I'll never, I there's, I think that's the thing that still drives me coming here every day and being like I can still mm. be better. I'm not sure if there are milestones, so to speak, but just making music still. I don't know when I. will that the mic that. that
4: you? Is that the mic you track vocals on the the seven B or is that the one you use?
6: You no, know, this is just what I use when I'm on a fancy podcast. This is the SM. Hey
4: what do you know what's your what's your kind of go-to in the studio i for like
6: the, i like anything there's a uh i like trying different shit out sometimes there's just like shitty stuff that's like underdog mics or whatever but i mean the 77 the rca is always incredible yeah. i mean that's uh the 44 but the sm7 is inc- always great too it's good enough for michael and bono and fucking whatever yeah
3: yeah well you know i can't wait to hear uh the results of set microphone on on Yeba's record when it finally <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's the That'd light be of day. Be Are you up. doing that? Are you doing? You're doing the
4: whole record. We did
3: it. Yeah. Oh we hell yeah! Oh yeah. Dude, Jill West Scott called me it. about that record. She loved wow. it. Yeah, it's wow. it's, it's dope. Um, Mark, well, we thank you for coming on the show. Thanks
6: so much. So nice to see. Meet you, Leah. Nice, so nice to meet Dave. you, Steve. Thank All you. Right, I met you at the best of the so It was nice. Thank you. Y'all be good. Hi be okay <laughs> see bye you again.
3: later all right gonna hey. okay, be happy mark ronson right. and fontigolo and laia and sugar steve is Questlove love signing off Questlove supreme check out next time yo what's up this is fonte
4: make sure you keep up with us on instagram at qls and let us know what you think and who should be next to sit down with us don't forget to subscribe to our podcast all right peace
3: Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite
2: shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own.
1: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
9: Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you.